Hi, it's a real joy to be able to share with you this morning. And the theme that I've taken is along the title of Living Stewards of Being Sent. It's a bit of a mouthful and, and you'll maybe understand the, the theme as we go forward. But let's think about the effects of the COVID-19 and how that's impacting and, and really even resetting every part of life as we know it. You know, as I interact with Christians around the world, I hear many saying that they're using this time to reflect on how to prepare for life and ministry in the current season, but especially the one still to come. Many of the mission leaders I work with speak of assuming that the world will be very different, a different kind of place as we come out of this pandemic, so much so that they don't really know what that will mean or how they will even operate. How will the church and even the mission agencies know what to do? But God calls each of us to be faithful to him in our witness as his pilgrim people in these very uncertain times. You know, when we think about missions, we may often turn to very familiar Bible passages, such as one from Matthew's Gospel, where he actually records probably some of the last words that Jesus spoke on earth in the form of new instructions. And we, we find these in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. I'm sure you're very familiar with them. And Jesus says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth, and therefore go and make disciples of all the nations or all the peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, and to teach these new disciples to obey, obey all the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this, Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In your Bible, this passage uh, usually has the heading above it called the Great Commission. But where did that heading come from? Because it wasn't part of the original text, but it was added later, sort of to break the text up into easier to read portions. That's where all the headings came from. But to find out, we could go back to the year 1792, when a young Baptist pastor named William Carey from Great Britain, he wrote a little booklet called Inquiry into the Obligation of Christians to Use Means for the conversion of heathens. That's a, not a very catchy title, probably wouldn't sell very well today, but Carey wrote this booklet to find out if the commission given by our Lord to his disciples, such as in Matthew 28, is still binding on us today, and to consider the feasibility of doing something more than what was currently being done, and to discuss the duty of Christians in general on this matter. You know, Carey actually never used the term Great Commission in his booklet. He just called it Commission. But his conclusion was important, and that was that Christians needed to work together to take the gospel to people without the gospel. This motivated his own journey in 1793, a year later, when he became famous as what we know today as the father of the modern missionary movement. He arrived in Calcutta, India and started his missionary work. Carey's booklet went on to be a catalyst that motivated many Christians in the U.S. and Europe and other parts of the Western world to become vigorous in their obedience to fulfilling the Great Commission. But Matthew 28 
is not the only Bible text that records similar instructions as some of the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. For example, in Luke chapter 24, Jesus, uh, in verse 36, he suddenly appears amongst his disciples. Uh, these were his witnesses. They'd seen what had happened to him. And he tells them to tell everybody else that there's forgiveness of sins for all who will repent and that this is to be told in the authority of Jesus' name uh, to all the nations. Mark 16 is, is another passage in, in verse 14 where Jesus appears to his disciples and he tells them to go into the whole world and preach the good news to everybody. And he says anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. He also says there will be miraculous signs that will accompany those who believe. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, Jesus tells his apostles, his witnesses, that they were about to receive power when the Holy Spirit would come upon them, and they would be his witnesses telling people about him everywhere, uh, from where they were right then in Jerusalem, but then later throughout Judea, where many of them came from, and then Samaria, which was a bit of a foreign place to them. They didn't like going there. And then ultimately to the ends of the earth. But then there's John chapter 20, and, and this is the passage that I actually want to dwell on uh, with you right now. In this passage, in starting verse 19, uh, Jesus appears to his disciples who were meeting behind locked doors uh, because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And we read the text. It says that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they're afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly... Jesus was standing there among them, and he says, Peace be with you. He spoke, and he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit, that if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven, and if you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. So here's three points that we could draw out just from this one passage. Uh, first of all, it's clearly Trinitarian. And what I mean by that is that all three members of the triune God are mentioned in this one passage. Uh, that's a little bit unusual. We don't often see all three referenced in the same passage. But first of all, we see that the Father, Father God is the sender, Jesus is the sent one, he's come, and now he's preparing to send the church. Start with the disciples and then those who would come after them that become the church. And then he also, Jesus is also sending the Spirit, uh, who's also been sent by the Father. And the Spirit is being sent with these disciples and future believers for their guidance and, and empowerment, ultimately for the guidance and empowerment of all of God's people. So the, the triune God invites us, that is his church, his people, to actually be his stewards of participating in his mission. We do have a role to play in responding, but you know, it's not primarily about us. It's actually uh, not about our, our uh, initiative, our activity. It's all about God and his glory. And secondly, it's a call of peace. 
because Jesus greets the disciples with the phrase, peace be with you. He doesn't do this once, but he does it twice. So that means it's very important. It's getting repeated for emphasis. And since Jesus spoke in Aramaic, which was a dialect of Hebrew, he would have used the word shalom when he said this. And it was appropriate statement considering the circumstances. The disciples were still recovering from what they thought was the loss of their teacher. Uh, This greeting is also a reminder of what Jesus told his followers a few, few days earlier when he said in John 14, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give you is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. But let's come back to Shalom. Shalom is a very strong concept in the Old Testament. It generally referred to a sense of wholeness, of well-being, abundant life, satisfactory conditions, completeness, soundness, as well as peace, well-being, and salvation. And it was really about describing the world the way it ought to be, a vision of this integrated whole of all of life and all manner of relationships. So when Jesus entered human history, he entered to show what shalom looks like through his salvation work on the cross, his compassion, his miracles. And as the Apostle Paul stated later, for Jesus is our peace. He says that in Ephesians 2, 14. So when Jesus introduced his kingdom, he was introducing the reign of God. And that reign leads to peace and it leads to justice. Jesus was starting a new community where people live in peace and enjoy living with God, living with themselves, living with others, and living with God's creation, his created uh, kingdom, his, his created nature. So a way of thinking about God's reign or kingdom is this, as N.T. Wright says, you can picture it this way, it's what it would be like when God is running the whole show here on earth. Government, business, education, even churches. And if he was doing that, then that's one of the characteristics that would be his prevailing peace over all things. It would be very noticeable if he was running the show. Well, he's let us run the show. And as Christians, we are to be bringing that shalom, that peace into everything we do, every relationship, uh, everything about us. Uh, thirdly, from this passage, we also see that God's mission of sending, of being sent, is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Into this situation, Jesus appears, he calms the disciples' fears, and he says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them, received the Holy Spirit. You know, up until this time, John 7 tells us that the Spirit had not been given permanently. Spirit came and went based on the situation and context. But now he was being sent permanently as Jesus was being prepared, was preparing to leave um, his time on earth. So the Holy Spirit's role is to go ahead of the church and to send us out into the world to speak and live out the good news of Christ. We're not to keep, uh, stay behind these locked doors. So, Participating in God's mission to redeem the world to himself must be breathed by the Holy Spirit, must have the breath of the Spirit upon it. Otherwise, it will really 
struggle for effectiveness because it will often be done or attempted to be done just in our own strength. One of the challenges that I've faced in these COVID times is how we physically can't be present together in the context of ministry. I would love to be with you in your building, uh, speaking with you and getting to chat with you afterwards, because to me that's that's what makes this kind of uh, opportunity and relationship so rewarding. And I miss that. Before COVID, uh, I was in Cali, Colombia, at a really large church that had invited me to speak about global mission at a conference that they were hosting uh, for their leaders. And after one session, a, a lady approached me and uh, talking to an interpreter because she spoke Spanish and I didn't. She asked me if I would pray for her, that she would be obedient to God's calling on her life. So I asked her for more details and she shared with me that she was a school teacher, but that her sister had asked her to come to Madrid in Spain for the summer to help her plant a new church. And, you know, I wasn't sure how to pray because I could see that she had a young family and some of her kids were standing with her. But I could also see an intensity of this willingness or desire to serve the Lord in whatever way he was calling her. Uh, so I prayed for her. I prayed that the Holy Spirit would clearly lead her since I really did not understand all that was at stake. Well, the next day, after I finished my last session, she excitedly came up uh, to me after the service and with great joy in her expression and this just this full uh, smile, she said that she had discussed the situation about going to Madrid with her husband that night before, and he agreed that this was God's will, and so he booked a ticket for her to go help her sister for three months to help plant this church uh, during her uh, summer break. So this was an example for me of seeing how the Holy Spirit was leading this lady, who I didn't know, didn't know anything about her, but also how the Spirit was leading me too in knowing how to pray for her. How mission was done earlier this year most likely has been disrupted one way or another, and it remains to be seen if we will ever return to what it was before. For example, a lot of overseas mission that we might have been able to do from Australia because we could freely travel relatively inexpensively and move within our own state, our own nation, our region, or our world we may not get to that kind of possibility again or for some time, so we have to adapt. Now, many of us, of course, have already been moving to online ministries and platforms, and, and that's helpful, but you know something is missing, and it's this whole aspect of being physically present. That's what's at risk, the whole incarnational aspect of mission and ministry. But at the same time, we're becoming more aware of challenges and difficulties that our mission partners are facing, particularly from the majority world. I've been helping uh, the Wycliffe Global Alliance survey leaders of Wycliffe organizations to see how they're managing. And uh, recently we did a survey and 30 leaders responded about the obvious effects of COVID uh, within their context. For example, nearby in Papua New Guinea, there's a local organization there called the Bible Translation Association. 
uh, they're all Papua New Guineans, and they rely heavily on the generosity and giving of business, Christian business people and churches and individuals across Papua New Guinea. But of course, those same people have been severely affected by COVID. They've lost jobs and income. And so this is affecting the viability and ministry of this local organization called BTA, because it's relied on these supporters. Now, right before their lockdown in Port Moresby, a little bit earlier, uh, one of these uh, supporters didn't have any cash, but gave them and blessed them with bags of rice and other foods uh, for their staff in Port Moresby. Sort of, if you will, an indication of some generosity in such difficult times. But of course, more was needed and is needed. Over in Togo, West Africa, the staff at the local Wycliffe Togo are already praying that the post-COVID church in Togo will be restructured by the Holy Spirit and become devoted to God and committed to investing in God's kingdom in ways it never has before. In another situation, a friend of mine, Nidia from Mexico, who's over the Americas or Latin America for Wycliffe, she had to saw all of her trips and, and engagements canceled because of COVID. So she turned to webinars and she started a series on teaching on biblical generosity for the Latin American church and mission. And approximately 80 leaders uh, from various ministries and churches from 20 countries started participating in these webinars. And some of the feedback she received was that from, from many of these leaders, including pastors, they really had not taught from the Bible about generosity to their own people. I guess they're so used to receiving support from other places that it hadn't occurred to them that God is a generous God and, and also wants to see that generosity from their own midst. And so this leads me to the whole topic of stewardship. Remember at the beginning of, of this time, I said I was going to address how to steward being sent. And stewardship for the Christian involves servanthood. We don't own God's mission. We don't own what he wants us to do in this world. Instead, we come under his authority. We have this responsibility as stewards to manage the resources that God has entrusted to us in ways that demonstrate that those resources truly belong to him, are owned by him, and so that's what a steward means. Stewards have the responsibility to manage the resources, everything that God has given us, in ways that demonstrate that actually those resources belong to God in the first place. So in, in, in a parable in, in Luke 16, it's often called the parable of the shrewd manager, uh, Jesus tells this story that there was a certain rich man who had a manager handling all of his affairs. And one day a report came that the manager was wasting the employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, what is this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you're going to be fired. So in this parable, the steward is seen as not having any possessions or property of his own, but he's supposed to be taking care of the master's resources but suddenly the master wants some account, some accountability of the stewardship. And so the steward has to, uh, he's, he's actually got to be on the alert. A faithful steward is on the alert because uh, this current time, even now, is a one of testing. 
And after that is a judgment according to what we've done as a steward. Each of us has stewardship responsibilities over resources that God owns, that belong to God, uh, that he has put in our care. This can be our funds, our, our money. Uh, that's the obvious one. That's often the one we think of. But what about our time? What about our talents, our gifts, our expertise, our ability? We will be held accountable before God as to how we manage and use all these resources because they're all meant to be for God's glory and not our own. And as the Apostle Peter says in in 1 Peter 4.10, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of the varied grace of God. Whatever talents, whatever God has put in our hands, we look after wisely and we use it carefully. It's for the benefit of others, for God's, it's the benefit of God's kingdom. It's for his glory and not for ourselves. About um, two years ago, in a discussion uh, in a leadership role that I held as the executive director of the Wycliffe Global Alliance, I'd held it for 10 years I had a discussion with my board of directors, the people I report to, and it was concluded by myself that I was starting to get weary or tired from the travel and jet lag and, and, and a global responsibility, and that's probably time for somebody else. And so they started a two-year process uh, to find my replacement. And last September last year, that person's name, Stephen, actually one of my colleagues from South Africa, was appointed to take my place. The plan then was a one-year transition from September last year to September this year that would culminate in a very large global event that we would hold in Johannesburg, South Africa. That is where I would say farewell over the last 12 years of development of ministry. I would hand over and we would welcome, uh, hand over to Stephen and we would welcome him and he would take the organization forward. But then, of course, the beginning of the year, COVID hits. I had to cancel seven trips that were actually orientation engagements with Stephen and myself. And not only that, we had to cancel our big global event, our handover event in September uh, next month. Instead, we did a handover virtually on 3rd of June this year, just through a, a pre-recorded video. So I never got to say goodbye in person to the leadership team I had worked with for these 12 years, or the board of directors, or the leaders of the 100 organizations that I had stewarded to serve. And I had to deal with that. I had to live with that. It was very disappointing. It was very sad. Made me very sad. Made my colleagues very sad. But we had no choice. Because, you see, at the end of the day, I was only a steward of a leadership responsibility, It wasn't actually my role and it wasn't my identity. I was just God's servant. And so I've had to continue that process of working through that sense of loss and not getting uh, to end the way that I had uh, designed with my board of directors, if you will, a way that we believed would would really glorify God. God had a different plan. So living as stewards of God's kingdom means that we have to focus on selfless service to God because of his immeasurable generosity to us in Christ. Because of that generosity, we just want to be those faithful stewards. You know, Wycliffe Bible Translators, the agency I serve with, 
was founded by William Cameron Townsend uh, and a friend, uh, L.L. Lectures. They started a linguistic training school in the summer of 1934. But this was a really bad time to start something new. It was the era of World War I. Then there was the Great Depression, and it was just before World War II. But this did not deter the faith of Townsend. In fact, it was pat- the pattern he became known for throughout his whole life, depending upon and trusting God for the impossible. If we're going to be faithful stewards of Christ, of this responsibility of being sent, whether just into our neighborhood, our suburb, our city, our nation, our region, or beyond, there are four simple challenges that I would like to conclude with. The first of all is that the cross of Jesus is the distinction of the Christian faith. It's the scars of our risen Lord that prove his identity. That's the context that Jesus appeared to his disciples in John 20. His scars were still evident. And in response, Jesus wants us to be obedient to his mission. It's an assignment of self-emptying and humble service, even in these precarious times and difficult situations. Secondly, we need to move from our comfort zone. Jesus sent his disciples out of their locked room and out of their comfort zone into a world that really needed them. But he does the same with us. And as we obey, we experience the joy that the disciples experienced upon seeing Jesus as we serve others. Thirdly, we have the Holy Spirit. We're not doing this on our own. When the disciples saw Jesus' wounds, they must have realized that obedience to God's mission is going to involve suffering and inconvenience. But that's why immediately Jesus gives them the promise of the Holy Spirit. And that presence of the Spirit is with us today, and he gives us the strength, the wisdom, and guidance. But we have to learn to continue to lean in on his leading. And finally, Peace from Jesus fills our hearts and minds. Can you feel how Jesus' words, peace be with you, enter into the disciples' hearts and turn their grief, their anxiety, their guilt and fear into joy? And have you experienced this joy in your own heart? If not, or if it's been a long time since you've felt that, why not take a moment with me now and as we pray, as I close in prayer, and we ask God to fill our hearts with this joy and especially this peace in these uncertain times. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the presence of your spirit, the gift of your spirit who guides us and strengthens us when we doubt, when we feel down, when we're discouraged, we're not sure what to do, we're not even sure what to pray or what decisions to make or how to step out in faith in times like this. Father, you've called us to be stewards of your mission, of your grace, of your salvation. You want this to be freely available, made known through our lives, through our witness, through our work, through what we do for your kingdom reign. Lord, help us to be those stewards that you are happy with, that you are uh, content that we are fulfilling our stewardship responsibilities. Father, strengthen us in these uncertain times as we seek 
to be obedient to you, to be obedient as your faithful witnesses. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.